Welcome to the Russell Alexander Family Law Now podcast. Today we're going to talk about top 10 reasons for using a financial professional. I'm joined by volleyball mom extraordinaire, <laughs> Carrie Heisel. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So do you go to like tournaments on the weekend like hockey moms do and I drink t- in hotels that are kind of Absolutely. Dingy? It is it's part of the ritual. It is something you must do as a rep sport parent. Right. You must go. It's the only way your kid's going to succeed. But it's fun. It's a blast. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it for the world. So you're a family law professional or a family neutral is what we call it in a collaborative setting. Correct. Uh, before we get started, why don't you just tell us what does that what does that mean? What designations do you have? And what do you bring to the table? So as a family uh, financial professional, what we bring to the table is our financial expertise. So some of my background, one of my main designations is I have a CDFA, which is a Certified Divorce Financial Specialist. Um, So what it does is it's given me special training all about the finances involved in family law. Uh, In our practice, we stay away from doing anything else. Uh, We only look after our clients in the separation and divorce process, but also if they're looking at doing a uh, cohabitation agreement or a prenuptial agreement. So only as it pertains to family law do we operate. Sort of an a la carte service. So you're not coming in to sell them insurance or a new mortgage. You're just there to help with that particular part of the case. That is it. Um, What we do do is we recognize through the process when there are other elements that they may require. So for example, if we have clients that are about to come into wealth that they've never managed wealth before, we will actually refer them to somebody or a group of people that we know to help them look after their wealth after they're finished with us. Give them three or four names just to get them on their way. Absolutely. Great stuff. So let's get started. Tip number one, comfort of transparency. Now this is an important concept because we, as divorce lawyers, often have uh, clients, sometimes one party will not know about the finances, one spouse may have run it through the course of the marriage, they don't know what the books are, they've never done the banking. So what can you tell us about this tip? So the idea of transparency, it's about making sure that everything is disclosed. So it's not the idea of, well, I'm going to tell you about what I want you to know. It's about let's get everything out on the table. We can't make good decisions or help our clients make good decisions unless they have all the information which to make those decisions from. So we help actually gather all of that data. So we're telling them these are the things that we need. Um, Even if they don't think it's important, they need to bring it to us because we can weed it out from there if it's not. And we've worked together and I've seen your checklists. They're pretty thorough. So when you say data, we're talking about information uh, that sometimes people won't think about on a daily basis, such as your tax returns, you file it once a year, bank, credit card statements. asset valuations, things of this nature. One of the biggest ones that people forget to disclose are burial plots. They don't understand that it's actually property. And mm-hmm. that's, so they completely forget about it and they see it on their our checklist of things that they have to give us. We always get the question, do I really have to give you that? Have they already bought their uh, coffin from Costco too? Or Pretty what? much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here's my new urn. Right. <laughs> Uh, morbid but fun. Uh, <laughs> tip number two, family and businesses, self-employed. What are we talking about here? Yeah, these are family-owned businesses and it can be one of the largest assets and sometimes it can be even bigger asset than having a matrimonial home. So when we're looking at something like a family business or somebody that's self-employed, we want to make sure that we're gathering even more data about it. 
it almost takes on a life of its own and we want to especially depending on the process we're using we want to preserve that business so that business itself we want to make sure that we don't do anything with it that it takes on undue tax consequences we don't want to destroy the business this is what's keeping this family afloat you and I have talked about this concept of a golden goose, and we've got other videos. This could be a day-long discussion. Absolutely. But in terms of a family business, uh, how is a financial neutral or a financial professional going to help the lawyers understand what they can do with that business? So one of the things that we're going to look at when somebody's self-employed or has their own business, we're going to look at the level of that business. So sometimes a person is self-employed and they say, I have a business. And what really it is, is that person generates an income. They are the only part of the business. There's not things like a business valuation that's required. Um, it's them and a, a work truck and some tools and or, you know what, a trade it's, or something. It's them and their family in, in their home office, you know, doing a spreadsheet or something like that for somebody. It's not actually a corporation that requires valuation. Other family businesses, though, are quite large or can be quite involved. They may have partners. Uh, there may be other family members involved. And when they get a little bit more intricate, beyond just somebody that if they pass away, the, the business has passed away as well, we want to employ a business evaluator. And so what we will do is we will act as the liaison between the lawyers and the business evaluator, making sure that the business evaluator is getting that additional disclosure that they require. And we want to make sure that we're getting the right level of valuation done. So and there's lots of pearls and pitfalls. Um, you know, we have capital gains, we have disposition costs, yeah. legacy issues in terms of is this business going to survive yeah. uh, a death of one of the uh, spouses. So lots of little things like that, which are significant yeah. in terms of the consequence to the business that even lawyers will overlook. Well, and it's also, do they want to remain partners in this business? How is that going to look? What are the share structures going forward? Do we need to change all of those things? It's really starting that basis of where do we need to go from here? And so, legacy planning and wills and... Absolutely. Right, yeah, interesting stuff. Number three is a bit of a tongue twister. I think you did this just to spite me. <laughs> I did. Illiquid assets. <laughs> Now, what, what's going on here? What are we talking about? <laughs> so an illiquid asset is things like real estate. I like to call these things, these things are the things you can't eat. Right. Um, so uh, a real estate is um, your house, your matrimonial home, your cottage. Uh, things like uh, the business interests, um, annuities. Uh, you may have somebody that's self, that is employed that has restricted stock options or uh, long-term incentive plans with their, their employer. These are, these are real assets, but there's not something that you can actually take and say, here you go, here, here, here's half of it really easily. And it's data that's sometimes hard to quantify. Right? Very much Lawyers so. Lawyers want to put this on a spreadsheet or in a family property sheet to see how we can divide assets up. Yep. Some of these are complicated assets. Some of these become very complicated because they have tax and penalty implications. So it's not just a matter of, well, we'll just take a chainsaw and slice it in half. Sometimes we have to look and say, well, if the value of it is, say, $100,000, is it really worth $100,000? Right. Do we need to look at tax? Do we need to look at penalties? And, and all do we that? need to do some planning? Absolutely. Right. It's a big part of it. Yep. Very and that's an easy issue to overlook in terms of 
the consequence of liquidating or disposing of one of these assets. Because we don't want people liquidating and the only person that's benefiting is the CRA. Right. That's the last thing we want. And if you're a minority shareholder in a family-run business, that's not an asset you can easily unload. No. Uh, it's very limited in terms of the market for something like that. Yeah, who are you going to sell it to? That's right. <laughs> Uh, number four, inequality of financial knowledge. Yeah. So leveling the playing field. This gets back to oftentimes to the roles that spouses play during the course of the marriage. Uh, so how do we level the playing field using a, a service like yours? So one of the main things that we want to do is we've always said that people that have good information make good decisions. And when you don't have financial knowledge, you have fear. And we can see that being acted out in many different files where the person that does not understand the finances because they didn't participate during the marriage. Somebody else paid all the bills. Somebody was responsible for the income. They were responsible for all the investing. And now all of a sudden it's coming back into your lap and it's something you have to be responsible for. It's getting them up the learning curve so that they understand that there's nothing untowards happening to them. Or sometimes there's a lot of suspicion and they say, you know, there's cash sales. I was in the family business, yeah. or he's writing off the cell phone and the truck. These are personal yeah. expenses. Uh, how do you help with those? Well, it's, it's about making them uh, them known and actually showing people. Sometimes the easiest thing... account for them as we well. We actually account. And sometimes the easiest thing that we can do is sit down with someone that does not have the knowledge and go through line by line, item by item, and make sure that they understand majority of the time it comes out the person goes oh now I understand right. that's where that was oh I get it yes it's fine or you'll get a list from the client saying I think these items are being run through the business and the books are being cooked and you can look at those specific items absolutely I think the hardest one that we all run into is cash they're doing cash under the table for their business right. that is the hardest one for all of us to quantify we usually find though that we can find a happy medium for mm -hmm. everybody where you know the one party is saying it's tens of thousands of dollars and the other person is usually saying no it's only a couple of thousands right. of dollars we can usually find a happy medium where everybody is comfortable or an acceptable medium absolutely an acceptable medium and one of the things I like in terms of using a financial professional is it gives some credibility to the data as opposed to one lawyer presenting the documents or a brief and saying, here are the numbers. Uh, sometimes the other lawyer or the other spouse will be suspicious. But if the spouses work together and it's assembled through a neutral third party who doesn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, yeah. it lends some credence to the numbers that are being produced. Yeah, we're completely neutral and non-biased. Uh, it doesn't matter to us how it all plays out in the end on the one side because this is about their decisions. We're just helping them get the information so that they can make a knowledgeable decision. Right. Great stuff. This next tip kind of ties into this theme. Number five, reconciling contributions. Uh, so let's talk about this. What are we looking at here, Carrie? Usually what we're looking at is from the time that the parties separate until the time that their final deal is done, there is a lot of mess in between there. People have paid for stuff that they don't feel they should have paid for. Uh, they may have paid too much or too little. Somebody's decided to scroll off a little nest egg somewhere else. Or somebody's living in the matrimonial home and the other person has moved out. And so what we want to do is make sure that at the end of the day, we're taking into contributions from both parties. If there was supposed to be support being paid, whether child or spousal, 
does that come into play? Are they running their family as status quo and do we do nothing going forward? We wanna make sure that when we get to that end date where they're signing their agreement, that they feel that everything has been tied up with a nice bow and they can start that very next day with a clean, fresh chapter and knowing exactly where they're at. In some experience that I've had in terms of the family law statute is pretty specific. We look at the date of marriage and the date of separation and there's some other factors that we considered as well. So we get a lot of the data for the valuation date or the date of separation. Mm -hmm. And then one person pays the mortgage and the property tax or pays certain bills until the final agreement is reached. And you can come in and do an adjustment for post-separation events. Right, and what we do is we tend to put it in a, in a chart format so that it's really easy for everybody to see and understand and say, yep, absolutely, that's what happened. That makes sense to me. And we don't, we eliminate the arguments. Right. It all just boils down to a nice fact base. The other thing that we can do with reconciling contributions is sometimes we do have clients that have addiction issues. And so sometimes we're asked to go back for a few years and there may be a shopping addiction or there may be a gambling addiction. And so sometimes it's about reconciling some of that spending that has happened for addiction purposes as right. well. Interesting. Number six, privacy. Yeah, one of the best parts about doing what we do is under privacy and being confidential. So we've had clients in the past where one client is saying, I don't want to give you my personal stuff that I've had since our date of separation. I don't want my spouse knowing. But the other spouse is very suspicious of either how they're affording their lifestyle or what they've been doing. Right. So he's spending the money on a new girlfriend, but it's not showing up Correct. to his income. Or where's this extra money? To get? Correct. Are they finding to go to Paris? Correct. So how do we deal with that? That's exactly it. And so what ends up happening instead, what we will tell the clients is that give us your information. We will go through it. We will determine if there's any issues that we need to bring forward. And if there's not, it's great, but they don't have any embarrassment and they don't have any judgment. And that's the biggest part of this is removing any possible embarrassments, any possible judgments. We want the couple and the family to move forward and that we don't want to get them dragged back into the past. Also, I think it's important to be mindful of the Canada Revenue Agency and other government agencies, especially with small businesses. Yeah. You, you do evaluation, it may trigger an audit or tax consequences. So it's important to maintain privacy for corporations and small businesses as well. In addition, we don't want, the business may not want its competitors knowing it's, uh, it's financial data, and if you go to court, it's all going to become public record. Absolutely, and that's why when people do have family-run businesses or other sensitive um, finances, it's great that they would do collaborative practice, like come into the collaborative process. Everything's pri private. It's a concierge service. Right. We are custom built just for your family. And you're not taking it out in a courtroom, you're in no. the privacy of your lawyer's office and everything is kept private. And most of the time doing it collaboratively, it's much faster than ever going to court. Um, it is private, which is massive. Um, I love the fact that it's customized servicing to yeah. the clients, um, but it's usually less expensive. And clients are more satisfied with the result when they get, Absolutely. A, get a, a role in playing how it's fashioned as opposed to a court or an arbitrator imposing something on them. They're active participants. Right. They're not having something imposed on them. They're actively creating their future. Great stuff. 
Number seven, post-divorce lifestyle and budgets. So what are we looking at here, Carrie? We are doing budgeting for people going forward to figure out, can you really keep the house? Um, we've been really- So they're separating, they own a home jointly. Yeah. They may have to buy their spouse's interest rate. Mm-hmm. And now the bank's gonna say, uh, this is what we need if you want financing. Absolutely, and this is actually a part where it can be a real reality check for people. Um, having people understand that you can't make $30,000 a year and have a half a million dollar mortgage. It doesn't work. Right. Um, there are lenders out there that will give you approvals for pretty much anything. Um, what we try and do is make sure our clients are understanding that financially, in the long run, this is a really bad decision. So we want to show them through budgeting and through their lifestyle. We want to ask those important questions. How do you want to live? Do you want to be able to afford a vacation? Do you want to be able to put your children through school or at least help them through school? Do you want to pay for your child's wedding? Um, All of these lifestyle things that we have going forward that haven't happened yet. And people get very narrowly focused on, I must keep the house, I must keep the house, I must keep the house. And what we try and show them is, this is why you can absolutely keep the house and this is what it'll look like. Or let's think again about you keeping the house because this is what it means in reality. This is what you're going to have to sacrifice. And lots of people don't turn their mind to their budgets until they go through a separation or divorce. And I have clients who have what I would assess to be a relatively good spousal support claim Mm -hmm. or even dealing with issues of child support. And when I explain to them what the numbers would look like, they'll say, well, I don't need that or I don't want to take that from my spouse or I'm feeling greedy or mean-spirited. But until you help them with their budget, they're going to realize, yeah, this is what you're going to need to finance the lifestyle that you've been used to during the course of the marriage. We also use budgeting, though, not only to do that, but we're also doing it to sometimes determine the level of support. Obviously not with child support, but when we're talking about spousal support, because we have a range we're dealing in, and sometimes we get people that have no idea how much. And then we will use budgeting to help us determine this is how much you need, this is how much they can afford, and they end up coming to a better number. They end up with something that they can actually live with, and they understand why a certain number is being applied. There's been many times when we've done budgets And we've had usually the payor in the room where they'll say, that's not fair. And they're not talking about their situation. They're talking about how their former spouse is actually going to have to live. Right. And just a little bit more sophisticated, if you have a shared pairing arrangement, Mm -hmm. and if you're in a court where you're looking at a child support set off, uh, some people just set off the table amounts. But to do it properly, you need to do a continual analysis. And the judge is going to require a child care budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Number eight, working together. All right. So what are we talking about here? One of the wonderful things about working with both clients where we get that privilege where a lot of people don't, especially legal counsel doesn't get that privilege. um, We actually get to look at what everybody wants and needs. So all of their goals and interests. We give our clients a questionnaire at the very beginning. We don't share them. We keep them. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that everybody's needs are being met especially financially. So when we're doing this, we usually find that the clients are on the same page. It's really rare 
that they're so, so far just off. the lawyers mucking it up or what? It really is. <laughs> you guys do a great job at that. <laughs> but what we notice is, is that they're not far off, but they're too afraid to tell each other. Because if, if I reveal this, then somehow I'm going to be perceived as weak or I'm giving up too much. Or it's a or, matter of pride or they're still upset about the affair or something else. Or, is, yeah, or they have what we like to call the Greek chorus, which is family members and friends that are all well-meaning, but they're coming in and they're giving their stories or their take on, that's right. you need to take them for everything they've got. Here's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Let's bring them back into reality. And we have found so many times that when we have people that are, I don't want to pay spousal support because that is the biggest sticker for us is spousal support. That we'll get people turning around going, I get it now. Oh, I'm okay with it. Oh, I get a tax break? Oh, okay, great. I'm right. fine. <laughs> All of a sudden, the $1,000 support order is only costing them six fifty. dollars or... Right. And then also being able to take that to the next level and saying, hey, here's how you can get some relief quickly. Right. We find that so many of them, because they're talking to family and friends, they don't get the full story. They're missing all the nuance of what's right. really happening. Right. And so that's the one thing about working together. It's about we're going to work with you on this side. This is what you need. And it's where that budget comes back into play. So we got the budget coming back in and then we have the other side of it. And so once they're working together, they'll make great decisions for their family. It's really important for them to realize that their family is not broken. Their family has not been destroyed in any way their family is taking on a different look. Interesting perspective. Number nine, getting married or living together. So mm -hmm. what are we talking about? Helping new relationships, getting off the ground? Absolutely. So one of the big parts of family law are those- I assume these are second marriages probably? Not always. Is that right? So sometimes what we have are families that they have businesses and son or daughter is coming into, or is working in the family business or is coming into the family business. And mom and dad want to make sure that son or daughter is protected. And so we start looking at... So the legacy remains in the family. Absolutely. So we will look at uh, their finances very similar to the way we do when people are separating. But we will look at it that way going forward. So they're going into their marriage. We do not call them prenuptials and we do not call them co cohabitation agreements. We think that has a really negative connotation. So we tend to call them relationship agreements. Um, it's about our relationship and how we want it to look. Um, and when we're going so for it. So domestic contract absolutely. is defined by the family law. Absolutely. You're just not putting that label on it. Correct. And so what we like to do is we like to talk to them about the 3Ds. We have a 3D conversation. So we're going to talk to them about death. What happens to your money and your finances upon death? What happens if one of you are disabled? Do you really want to look after each other if something happens to the other and you have now they're no longer earning, they're not the person you're signed up for? And then also what happens if you separate or divorce? Mm -hmm. And that's so we have that conversation with them. And it's interesting at the beginning of a, of a relationship, if you cannot have that conversation at the beginning, it's going to be real difficult if anything ever happens and it has to end. And it's really valuable if you do have that conversation and you have a document that reflects their intentions yep. to use at a later date, saying we entered into this relationship with this understanding. Yep. We had this discussion. We looked at the finances and we made an informed decision. And what we recommend with that is that they renew it every five years. 
they go back and look at it again. Like say, renewing your vows? It's like renewing your vows, but the idea behind it is, you know, we now have renew kids. Renew your three Ds? Re renew your three Ds. Right. We, we now have kids. We didn't contemplate children when we did this. We, you know, we bought a whole bunch of properties. We won the lottery. Who knows? Right. Things change over time. To think that what you did uh, on day one at the start of your relationship is going to be the same 30 years in is kind of foolish. And it's hard for people to do that. Yeah. And it's even hard for people to have wills in place that are current. Absolutely. But it's when we notice our clients that come in and want this service, they understand why it's necessary. It's not about planning for separation. It's about planning for the success of the relationship. And there have been studies done in the US that actually show that couples that actually plan their relationships and do relationship agreements are actually more successful and have a lower divorce rate. Well, that's promising. It's really promising. Tip number 10, annual support reviews. Yeah. So the child support guidelines have mechanisms built into it to review support. Mm -hmm. Usually that language is put into court orders and also into uh, separation agreements and collaborative practice agreements. And sometimes spousal support may trigger a review. So if somebody retires mm -hmm. and they've divided their pension, uh, ordinarily we wouldn't share that pension income twice. It's a double dip. So what are we looking at here? So we are looking at, it is mainly is coming down to people that have children, um, that that review has to happen. Children are getting older, they're going off to universities, they're aging out, they're now done, they're living their own lives, they're having families of their own. We want to make sure that things are getting reviewed. A lot of people are, will go online and say, well, I found the calculator online, I can just do it. Or they don't want to pay a lawyer to do a exactly. guideline calculation. Yeah, and so we find that we have a lot of clients that they'll write into their separation agreement or their court order may state that they have to come to a, um, a company like mine and we will do their annual review. They give us all of their documentation that, the, that we require. We go through it and we say, okay, here's your new amounts. A lot of boilerplate language we put into court orders and separation agreements will include a dispute resolution mechanism, which provides for notice and written notification in terms of the change that you need to make in attempting to go through collaborative process or mediator or some form of ADR before going to court. And a financial planner is another mechanism for that. Yeah, coming to us, we can just go and do it. it. It doesn't take long for us to get it done. If we've already worked on the file, we already have all of their information. It's already stored in our systems. And so it's really easy for us to just get it done. I've done four already this month. Wow. <laughs> so those are 10 fantastic tips for using a financial professional. Uh, I hope everybody listening will take this to heart. But you brought two bonus tips. With I you today. brought you bonus. So we've got twelve for the price of ten. Exactly. Baker's dozen. Oh no! Well, Baker's dozen is thirteen. Yeah. Don't no. get smart, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So number eleven. Uh, yeah. What are we looking at here? So we're looking at the depth of the financial issues. So sometimes we need to bring out other people. So when I'm talking about other people into the process. We're looking at tax planners, corporate lawyers, we're business valuators. Uh, we're looking at real estate agents. We're looking at specialized mortgage brokers. We're looking at appraisers. Um, and appraisers can be a home appraiser. We've had it where we've had to have vehicles appraised. Tools, maybe. Tools, 
anything uh art collections we've had uh we've had one set of clients that brought dropped off a bag of jewelry um and gold bars i had a case where there was a bunch of world war ii memorabilia yeah and uh husband put a little number on it mm -hmm. and wife knew it was worth more so she said i'll take the memorabilia and pay you the number yep. well all of a sudden the number jumped up fairly quickly <laughs> And that's, that's not unusual. So when we're finding things that are beyond the normal or there's something where the, the parties are just at an impasse and they cannot get past it. Um, and the house, the matrimonial home is probably one of the biggest ones, especially if somebody wants to keep it. So we will look at what are the options. Well, getting a, a certified appraiser to come in and give a valuation on that home is one of the easiest ways to get over yeah. it. And the home can be used as a weapon, right? Some Absolutely. spouses will say, I want it sold, knowing the other spouse wants it. Yeah. Uh, but I think what's important that everybody's mindful of is there's notional disposition costs to the home, or real disposition costs yeah. if you sell the home. You have to pay a lawyer, you might have to get a penalty for your, to get out of your mortgage. Yeah pay four, five, six percent real estate commission quickly depending up. on the home. If you're in downtown Toronto, you're approaching seventy five to hundred thousand dollars out easy. of your pocket just to dispose of that home. Yeah. So now an appraisal looks pretty reasonable. You're both gonna save money. Yeah, for anywhere from six to twelve hundred dollars depending on where you live. It's and it could save not a bad the deal. family a hundred thousand dollars that Absolutely. could be used for college or university or or buying your next home, exactly. anything. So that's one of the things that we wanna do is we wanna look and we're always analyzing for those depth of issues. So again, getting that business valuator in. Do we need them to do an income determination? Do we need them to value the business? Do we need appraisals done on vehicles, on collectibles, on, on real estate? There's a million different things that we need them for. So we we do not ever hold ourselves out as we are the be all end all. We know everything that is financial. Um, but you're connected and you have contacts and you can locate these yeah, people if you need them. Absolutely, and we've been really, really good about sourcing really reliable people that will give our clients a good deal on things and we don't accept anything back from them. It's just knowledge that where we're sending our clients, they're getting a good deal, they're getting reliable information, they're getting accurate information, um, and it just reflects back well on us right. for doing that. And I that. think it's important to be mindful that it's the client-driven exercise. So you provide a recommendation indicating, we don't have an agreement on this asset. Yeah. Here's the process to drill down deeper and get a number. Yeah. Here's the expense associated with that. Do you want to incur that expense or do you want to reach a compromise on the number? And sometimes about talking about that expense, it's about giving them the understanding why. The biggest part of impasse in the process, especially when it comes to money, is fear. Right. I don't know why. I don't know um, how am I going to live, where am I going to live, what am I going to do. They, it's all about fear driven. And so when we're giving all of these answers, we need to do this because and we give that why, we find that our clients are so much better off and they're so well equipped because they're going, I understand why I'm getting this appraisal. I understand why this has to be valued this way because it's going to save me tens of thousands in the long run. They may bulk at first, don't get me wrong, not everybody goes, yay, I get to spend more money up front, but they but the, will understand. They leave with a sense of satisfaction and knowing that the process has been acceptable. They leave the satisfaction of knowing that, especially in collaborative, that their team is looking after them, that we have their best interests at heart, that all of us are working towards a goal for them.
that we're not just having them pay for the feeding and caring of the courts. Twelfth point today. Twelfth point. Final point. Thank you for being with us. Option generation. Yeah. Now this has a special meaning for collaborative professionals, but what are we talking Huge. about here for the public who are listening today? You know, I think this has has meaning for everyone, even if you're in the court process. I think you need to understand your options and how to generate them. So the idea here. When you here, say options, you're talking about possible results in terms of yeah. resolving issues in your case. How can we best resolve your your matter so that we're meeting all of your goals and all of your interests for everybody so that your family going forward has not been destroyed by the process but is actually made a little bit better. Um, so what we want to do is, is say what is the best way to do this? Um, where are our options? How creative can we get? You can get creative in court, but you can't do it in letting the judge make that decision for you. Well, and the judge's hands are tied by the statute. Absolutely. They can't do certain things. Absolutely. If you're in a collaborative process, you can come up with any kind of creative option that yeah. meets needs and, and, and interests. And we can get super, super creative with it. We've done all sorts of great things where it's your family's unique. Um, the best part about being a financial professional, I'm neutral. Um, I, like you said earlier, I don't have a dog in the hunt. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, we just want to look at the facts of the situation. We want to go from there. We want to see how we can build this. We want to remove gaming. Uh, we want to remove uncertainty. We want that when you're making that final decision and when you're sitting down with your legal counsel signing that piece of paper, you're sitting there thinking, I did this the right way. I feel good about this and I can live with this. This is an acceptable situation for me. Well, thank you. These have been great tips, Carrie. Thank you I for know, having me. I know that um, a lot of kickback I get when I meet with clients and talk about financial professionals are costs. Mm -hmm. uh, in my view, starting with a full team is the way we should start every case. Uh, you're actually saving the client's expense because usually your rates are less than what the lawyer would charge. Yeah. And you're providing data that's credible and reliable. So I think you're providing an excellent service. Thank you. I hope everybody has enjoyed this podcast. And stay tuned for our next one.